So you are so gracious to have created a one-sheet device that uh, listeners of the Nonfiction Brand Podcast can go online and download right now at, give us that URL. StartupHypeMan.com slash DP. As in David Paul. Definitely check that out because I think it kind of gives us a picture of how your brain works and what your value is as a provider of services or guidance or counsel to especially startup companies. Do you have any specific startup sectors that you're focused on most acutely? In the like the the realm of the companies that are scaling up, I almost exclusively work with B2B SaaS companies or marketplace technology companies where there's a B2B side of their platform. When it's the early stage companies who are like, hey, I just need to get like my initial pitch down or I'm, I'm looking to raise money. I have worked with everything from a food technology company or like a food mobile app to a company bringing an alternative meat product to market to a company that is working in alcohol addiction recovery. Honestly, like across the board on that side, it's really a matter of you look at your pitch and say, this kind of sucks. And if that's the case, then that's where I can help. Right. So it's really not about any specific sector or subsector. It's about the screaming need for any startup, which is how do we tell people what we do, how we do it and who we are when we're still forming a lot of that stuff or it's being shaped day to day. And I've seen plenty of startup decks that are just screaming bags of fiction. I mean, it's almost like cut and paste out of pure ether of, you know, some screenwriter's mind or something. And it doesn't sound like that's what you're about. It sounds like what you're about is going a little bit deeper with a company to especially engage an audience so that they will be up for hearing the story you're about to tell. Yeah, it actually, so kind of those like ridiculous claims that hits on another thing that I'm like a firm believer in, which is, let me know if this scenario sounds familiar. Like you get a cold email from someone like who's prospecting you and they are like, oh, you know, so-and-so used our product and had like 800% increase in sales or, you know, our customers are getting these kinds of results that are, it's just like some like insane number that you look at it and you're like, yeah, right. Or yeah, whatever, you know, that's not, that's not for me, right? Has that that ever happened to you where you get an email like that? Oh my God, yeah. All the time, especially from what I would call the slimier sections of LinkedIn connections. (laughs) Yeah, oh my God. Especially in those LinkedIn DMs, people are always touting stuff like that. Yeah. We helped so-and-so company book 49 meetings in their first nine days. Yeah, I'm a firm believer that unbelievable stuff like that is not to be believed. It's unbelievable. Yeah, that's true. Like what you're saying. A couple of years ago, I wrote this ebook on a principle I called the XY paradox. And the idea is exactly what you're saying. Most companies think, okay, the way to convince them, the way to get them interested is to give them like our best case study or our best case studies and talk about like the extreme version of this product, like, like they're the best use case of this product. And so they will say things, right? Like, Oh, you know, we help so-and-so book 20 meetings in their first 10 days or save this amount of cost, whatever it might be. The challenge is you're first off, you're operating with only within the rational brain when you start to throw out numbers like that. And it just becomes really easily refutable to someone who's not already accustomed to you and familiar with you. And the first thing most people will do is dismiss it because they'll say, yeah, right. That's not true. Or they will say, okay, that may be true, but my situation is different. That would never work for me. 
So you either rationalize against the validity of the truth of the claim, or you rationalize how your own use case would be an exception to the rule and how it wouldn't work. And I call it the X to Y paradox because in that case, DP, you who got the email or the LinkedIn message, your current state is variable X, the letter X. And what they pitch to you when they give you those amazing results is a state of Y, like variable Y. And there's just too much distance between X and Y for you to be able to make that mental jump. And so instead, what you want to do is what I call the X plus one effect, which is talk about incremental gain, because that's actually something people can believe and believe enough to want to hear more. And the way you talk about incremental gain is don't even lead with numbers, lead with qualitative result. Talk about how someone is enjoying using your product. And by the way, they're getting, you know, like recently they had this small win. You don't have to say small win, but give them a small win because that's going to convince someone like you to say, okay, they're not full of crap and I can actually take a meeting with them and want to learn more about them. An example of this that actually I did recently in an email that got a meeting was I, I, you know, I gave my like upfront, like, Hey, here's why I want to meet. It follows actually that K-PASA formula that was, that's in that guide. But then when I get to the part where I'm like, you know, customer example, All I said was, hey, we launched this recently at SearchSpring. Here's what a few of their team members said. Marketing director said this. SDR said this. CEO, who's honestly a perennial skeptic, even said, I don't hate it. Right. And the best best I said was the CEO said, I don't hate it. And then I, you know, I close out the email from there. And that's what like, like that helps convince the person that like, okay, this is a real thing that I could consider because I wasn't like. The CEO, oh my God, he fawned. I mean, and he was happy with it, but but like he's he is a perennial skeptic, and his initial feedback was, "I don't hate it," and he does like it a lot. But he the, the extent he was going to tell me was, "I don't hate it." So right, I'm not coming in being like, you know what, SearchSpring had a 45% you know reduction in sales cycle time and a 45% increase in close rate, any of that stuff. I talked more to the qualitative result and just what people have said to me. Like you can't argue with someone else's feedback. Well, and I think that's also based on the fact that a lot of the people who make up your audience in the startup world, they're number people. They're numbers gurus. They believe in the old saying, there are lies, damn lies, and statistics. (laughs) And they know that 45% number came from someone's you know, fever dream or something, and they can find the holes faster than anything. But what they can't do is out liberal arts, a liberal arts storyteller. And again, you know, seriously, I, a lot of the companies you deal with, let me just ask you, how many of them have PhDs, scientists, engineers, and CS people in depth working on them? Oh yeah. yeah. Most times it's founded by someone who was like the product person. Right, like, like they were the engineer behind the product. Exactly. Had, like the data mind, yeah. Exactly. So they can code the thing in their sleep, but they were sleeping during English class when they went through classic story structure or script analysis if they took any theater courses or anything like that, which of course they right. didn't take because they were in computer science. So that, you know, <laughs> they know how to code. They don't know how to tell a story. And certainly they don't know how to tell their story. So... It sounds to me like you are the guy who is the perfect one to get in there and ferret the true story of who they are, what they do and how they do it, but also do the extra thing, which is put it through the prism of, 
And how do we tell this so that the audience is receptive to it, interested in it, and it frames the arguments, takes them on a path so that the ultimate climax of the story is we should talk in depth and ideally engage with you. Yeah, it's it's through that prism and it's it's and then even within that, it's also the prism of, OK, and then what does this look like if they're already on the phone with you or if they're, if they're in a demo? What does this look like if you're just trying to get their attention through an outbound email or message or call? What does this look like when you have to talk about examples of how your how customers have succeeded with you? Right. These are the it's like from like your top funnel outreach to your bottom funnel closing. It's also like through those individual prisons, like what is the trickle down effect into each of these layers of messaging? And the reason why I approach it that way is because as, as creative as I am, I'm also very like practical with like you need something you can execute it on. One of the biggest, I think, things I take issue with or that I've seen are like gaps that exist is there's a lot of people who are story minded and there are people who are plenty more story minded than I am. I think the challenge is that you have to, to do this well in this specific arena anyway. You've got to be able to pair that with like, okay, but what does that mean in a day-to-day business sense, especially when sales need to be made? Like one company that I've worked with, we had, they're like, we had a PR or whatever kind of agency, I think it was a PR agency come in and like develop our narrative for us first. And so they had me look at it. I was like, okay, so like, what do you want to use out of this? Well, you know, they gave us this, you know, this 40 page PDF of like our different talking points. And like the pitch that that company came up with involved like using the phrase, we galvanize the employee spirit to achieve, you know, like monumental gains in engagement and interaction across the board. And I'm just like, but can you envision yourself ever saying that to someone and keeping a straight face? Right. And that's where I'm just always like, how do we like, how do we actually bring this down to like tactical things you would actually say out of your mouth? Luckily, nonfiction brand podcast listeners, I could edit these episodes because what you didn't hear me do was throw up after hearing that <laughs> garbage. But but <laughs> let me tell you, I know exactly where you're coming from, which is it's not just about creating a Bible that has our story and everyone has to quote chapter and verse on. It's no, no, no. Now it requires interpretation. So when we're talking to someone on the phone, this is how you answer a phone call in a way that supports our story. Again, you're not tying people's hands. You're giving them what they need to successfully convey that story. So it sounds like you hit major touch points all along that kind of funnel path, going from the the very beginning all the way down. Yeah. How do you get someone interested in the first place? Once they're interested, what do you say to them to continue the story that you that started with how you got them interested? And then once they get, once they feel like they want to work with you, what do you need to do next? How do you talk to them there? You know, again, I always just think through like, how do people actually, like, how do you take that big idea, but put it into words in a way that people actually talk and you're not just, you're not stuck talking about the galvanization of the human spirit because no one would say that. <laughs> right, right. And again, you uh, listening to last week's episode, you'll remember that Rajiv is a very big Lin-Manuel Miranda fan in the form of the musical Hamilton and the structure of it, the story of it, the, the drama of it, every aspect thereof. And I want to point out how smart that was to take that as a frame for what you do. And take the uh, very amorphous idea of storytelling and turn it into (laughs) concrete structure that, guess who gets that? Guess who wants concrete structure? 
engineers, scientists, numbers people. They don't want the, the, the puffery, they want the structure. And that's really smart. This episode of the Nonfiction Brand Podcast is brought to you by my new book, Nonfiction Brand. Discover, craft, and communicate the completely true, completely you brand you already are, now available on Amazon.com. Too many people for too many years have labored in obscurity. Why? Because that's the way it's always been. Work for someone else and remain nameless, letting others take credit for your hard work. But in today's hyper-connected, everything-is-media world, that's all changed. In 1997, Tom Peters outlined the tenets of a new concept, personal branding. Fact is, if you're not actively branding yourself based on who you are, what you do, and how you do it, you are leaving opportunity on the table. But with this book and a little bit of work, that opportunity is 100% yours to own starting today. Jay Baer, best-selling author of Talk Triggers, said, The book is outstanding. Highly recommended. A spectacularly useful guide to personal branding that pulls off the difficult trick of being both realistic and inspirational. A must-read, regardless of where you are in your own brand-building journey. To get your copy, head on over to Amazon.com and search Nonfiction Brand. And let's get you all the credit you deserve for the completely true, completely you brand you already are. But I want to go and flip the script a little bit and stop talking about who you serve and start talking about you and your personal brand. Because, again, sure. doing a little research into the background information you gave me, you're out there actively seeking speaking opportunities, presentation opportunities. I'm sure some of them, maybe most of them, are lead generation type things for your business. Yeah. But I'm yeah. guessing some of it's uh, related to the fact that there's a little bit of, uh, let's call it Broadway lead in you uh -huh. personally that yes. that there's a presentational side of you that cannot be denied am i right about that you have assessed me accurately i actually think one of the biggest mistakes i ever made in my life was never taking like a formal theater training in fact in many ways i do believe my future holds actually getting into acting of some kind the ways i've had to do it manually on my own like i'm also a hip-hop artist and so there, there's obviously artistic natures to that and and some stage presence involved as well but that kind of mindset is what I bring even to the business realm. And like, like I, I've keynoted conferences before where I actually open, performed a song from Hamilton. And then I've used that to say, well, if we look at how this song is, is structured, we can follow this closely to say how you should pitch your company. And I can tell you, like, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. Can you give us a few seconds of the Fresh Prince of Sass? Aha. Yes. So this is a video I, I just randomly had an idea for a couple of years ago where I remixed the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yep. I put it on LinkedIn and it got way more popular than I thought, but it goes something like this. Now this is a story all about how your business flip turned upside down. And I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there. I'll tell you how it can increase your revenue share. Dun, yeah. Dun, dun, dun. There you go. <laughs> but, but that just makes it entertaining and interesting, right? But it also points out the fact that, that you've got this entertainer performer streak in you that is absolutely core to who you as a person and a professional absolutely are. I'm glad you've asked about this stuff because I want everyone to know is that me creating Startup Hype Man was almost for myself this like its own inevitability, its, its own like undeniable force that was trying to break through. Because for years, I kept thinking to myself, I have to separate these different parts of me. And with Startup Hype Man, I said, well, I actually am going to reconcile these different identities, quote unquote, and make it my brand. 
and make it the thing people, you know, that, that I put out there because I love it. And I'm, I'm going to have the most fun doing it this way. And it's going to be different. Some people are going to hate it. And I'm okay with that because I probably wouldn't enjoy working with them anyways. But there are going to be people who gravitate towards this. And so rather than trying to like suppress and be like, you know what, the rapper side of me is this thing over here. I'm also a yoga instructor. Right? The yoga side of me is this thing over here. That it's like, hey, it's all me, but it's also, it all guides my philosophy and my approach with Startup Hype Man. Oh my God, nonfiction brand podcast listeners, have you heard him just describe the, what I like to call the nonfiction brand philosophy of being completely true, completely you, regardless of the fact that you might have to have an LLC name on an invoice? Right. <laughs> Is there any separation between Rajiv and Startup Hype Man? I'm going to say no. No. I mean, it's literally, it's like, I mean, when I'm not startup hype man, quote unquote, I might be slightly more casual or something, but even then you're still 99.9% .9 of it is the exact same. I mean, even today I'm wearing a wrestling sweater, a pro wrestling sweater. So that at least should give it off. And this is, this is startup hype man being represented here. Exactly. And you hit on something that you kind of uh, said of 30 seconds ago, not everyone's going to get it. Not everyone's going to like it. Not everyone's going to want to, you know, talk to you, engage with you, buy your services, have a drink with you. But mm -hmm. that's okay. And it sounds like you're personally okay with that fact that you don't have to be one size fits all. Everybody has to like me. The other thing you said that was really very, I think, wise and astute was, frankly, I wouldn't want to work with those people anyway. It is because I'll tell you, so, so that Fresh Prince remix that I've created, right? Again, I just had the idea one day and I put the video up on LinkedIn, got way more exposure than I thought it was going to. And it's driven a, a lot of revenue in the last couple of years. And the people who have gotten that as their first touch point end up my most satisfied customers. Exactly. And the people I want to work with. I was talking to a mentor of mine and he was like, he was like, in a way, it's kind of like you like bring out like their inner artist. And I was like, well, yeah, that's a good way to put it. He's like, which means they have to see that they have to see some version of an artist inside themselves first. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I didn't think about it like that, but I guess you're right. And so that's what I guess will make sense here is like if someone gravitates towards me because of the content I'm putting out, because of the way I go about things, they see something in themselves, some version of an artist inside themselves that they want to break through. And that's the person I want to work with. Well, exactly. Because you're not over-promising or under-delivering. You are perfectly promising who you are, what you do, and how you do it in a way that makes them go, oh, wow, I wish I could do that. I, 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 I bet you he could help bring that out of me. Maybe I'll never be as good, but at least I'm reaching for something in a positive way rather than being fed a veneer that doesn't fit or a suit off the rack, you know? Yeah. It sounds to me like you approach people from uh, let me understand, let me then craft, and then let me help you tell your story in the most effective way possible with the big proviso that we're always coming at things from an audience first perspective. Right. And I'll tell you, like with these sales teams that I work with, when we create that deck, that presentation deck, I'll write the speaker notes how I would do it. And I'll record a video or I'll do a live pitch for them and be like, hey, here's how I do it. But then I make them all write their own script. Like, I'm like, mine's just a guide. You got to follow like the story arc here, but you got to figure out how do you relate to this? And what's your personal anecdote you share on slide four, whatever it might be? Because these are my words. My words are not your words. 
And it's only going to work if they're your words. It's only going to feel natural and authentic, not to overuse that word, but it really, it's only going to feel authentic and something that the other people, your, your audience wants to listen to if it's your words that they can understand they're hearing. Oh yeah. Amen, brother. I mean, there are only two writers that you don't rewrite. William Shakespeare and the raft of people who wrote whatever religious text you care to follow. Because <laughs> uh, any any other thing, and I, I'm not kidding you, I was watching David Letterman. Uh, my guest needs no introduction on, yep. I think, Netflix. Uh, Netflix. And Robert Downey Jr. was on, and he was talking about how he as a 24-year-old actor would come into top-tier, A-plus level directors with a new script that he wrote to correct the, the bad script. And is that arrogance? Maybe. But the big thing he was doing was, I'm pointing out this has to come out of my mouth in a way that is 100% believable. And consequently, there needs to be some flexibility in the script or the pitch or whatever you're preparing so that it can come out with the sincerity and, dare I say it, authenticity that we all know really attracts people and gets them to convert the way we'd like them to. Which is actually why I think it's important to have some baseline script. Absolutely. Because then you have something to improvise off of. If the entire thing is improv, I would argue you can't be that authentic. Even though people will be like, well, no, it's the natural thing coming out. But if you're talking while simultaneously trying to construct the words that are supposed to come next, because you totally are freestyling this, you're not, you're not going to deliver the best version of yourself. Let me tell you, anybody who ever studied the presentation styling of Steve Jobs knows that he rehearsed more than anybody to get mm-hmm. his very loose, but not loose at all uh, structure done. I mean, and, and that's what all actors understand, which is it's all about the process of preparation. Conversely, the, the biggest fear that actors have when they have nightmares is totally related to I didn't rehearse enough and I forgot my lines. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you when I, so I did a Ted talk several years ago or, or a TEDx, I should say when I initially got like the, Hey, like you're going to, you know, the, the call to be like, you're in my initial thought was like, Oh, I'm a good presenter. I can wing this. And then I was like, Oh, oh no, 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 no. And I probably practiced that thing. I mean, at least 25, 30 times the week of, and then just the morning of another five times. You know, had I not, you would have had a presentation that was a lot of, um, okay, so what's next? You know, you you would have heard a lot of that. Yeah. I'll also tell you too, on that note, I often think it's actually almost like better or or more fun to work with introverts than extroverts. I'm a hardcore extrovert. What I've noticed, and I'm representative of other people who are extroverts for the most part as well. Us extroverts who like having that spotlight, that kind of thing, we believe ourselves to believe because we believe ourselves to be good at this thing presenting that we don't have to practice. Yeah. Introverts are like, oftentimes are like so terrified of the idea of having to like present in front of people or like know something they will over prepare beyond belief. And they end up a lot, a lot of times they end up more successful because they understand the importance of preparation. And because in their mind, winging it is not an option. Yeah, and I'm reminded of Brene Brown, her, uh, what was her Netflix special? Um, I don't remember the name, but I have seen what you're talking about. Yeah, well, in it, she talks about the fact that she was going to give her first TEDx Houston talk, and she just decided the day of to basically, I'm not going to do what I always do. But she knew her material cold because she's a scientist. She had been studying shame and 
and you know all that stuff forever so she was able to do it because she knew her stuff backwards forwards upside down and she'd probably done enough like similar smaller talks like that on the topic plus she's a professor so she's in in front of an audience all the time (laughs) yeah it's not necessarily like a new thing for her to be in front of a room but i'll tell you like and this is what i do with my own stuff but also whenever i'm working with companies i'm always like i always intentionally figure out how do i teach this within a framework so that you don't it's not about memorizing word for word it is that you know the framework so if you slip up you can mentally tell yourself where am i at in this framework what's supposed to come next when i did my ted talk yes i scripted it word for word and honestly i probably ended up sticking close enough to it word for word, maybe like 95% like in total of what I had written down. But there's a part, I don't know, like seven, eight minutes into it where I actually forgot what I was supposed to say next. I don't know if any, I mean, unless you know, I'm telling you this, I don't think you could, you could see when you see the video on YouTube, like, I don't think you'd be able to tell. I know it happened, but I remember in that moment and, and I'll tell you in my head, it felt like 20 seconds in reality it was probably like 0.2 seconds. Right. I was like, you know, even though I didn't remember in that moment, the exact word next, I went back and I said, okay, where am I at in the framework? What's supposed to happen next in the framework? And that's what got me back on track. And that's why you have to have that framework. You have to have that basis and you have to have a story that's crafted by someone who can take you through it. If you can't yourself, which is a great way for me to segue and ask and Rajiv to tell us again, what does Startup Hype Man do, especially in the startup space for companies? Of course, it's all about helping craft narratives that don't suck at the end of the day. So as the leader of a company, you've got a particular vision for what you want this thing to represent in the market. It's probably not getting translated into pitches, into messaging, into presentations, et cetera. I come in and help figure that out. I help map your vision to the boots on the ground messaging through a scalable narrative process so that not only can your team today do it well, or you yourself today do it well, but as new people get added on, they can step in and have just as much success because it is a scalable narrative. It's not dependent on the whims of one person. It is, you know, kind of this living, breathing pulse of your company. It's kind of the same page for everyone to get on and stay on so that you're consistently, constantly telling the same story. That's one of my like happiest, one of the pieces of feedback that I always like feel best about is when someone will say, Hey, our marketing and our sales and our outbound are all aligned now. Yeah. Because everyone is bought into the same narrative and therefore you're doing things to help one another, not either unintentionally or intentionally hold people back. Yeah, that's great. So if people wanted to get a hold of you or contact you, what's the best way for them to actually get contact with you? First thing I would say is if you didn't listen to last week's part one of this conversation, rewind, go back and listen to that. Amen, brother. (laughs) And then come back and listen to this. If you want to connect with me again, LinkedIn is the place. Just search Raj Nation, R-A-J Nation, all one word. I'll show up on Instagram at Startup Hype Man. And I mentioned it last week. If you want to, you know, we, we talked about a lot over these last two weeks. One of the things that I think is really helpful as a step one is figuring out your elevator pitch. That's always the first part of my process. And I have a very specific formula for that. I call K-Pasa. And I've got a K-Pasa pitch guide for you where it explains the formula and then breaks down some prompts for you to figure it out yourself. That is available at startuphypeman.com slash DP. Again, startuphypeman.com slash DP. I think that'll be especially a helpful way to like carry these episodes forward, especially 
if you're like me and you listen to podcasts like while working out or grocery shopping and you didn't sit down at a coffee table with a notebook while listening to this. And I hope I you didn't. You to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if you want that thing to carry beyond, you know, this audio that's in your ear right now, startuphypeman.com slash DP. Well, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. It, what a treat to talk to someone who's clearly, even though he's in the startup space where stories are very, very much in uh, infancy stage almost, but you're doing it the right way, which is you're finding out the truth about the company, its people, their processes, systems, and products and services, and then creating a cogent story that always, always, always considers what the audience needs first. I think that's really, really smart. Thank you. And I appreciate you having me and kind of really like setting my neurons on like fire for this conversation. It was a lot of fun the last couple of weeks. Well, well, thank you so much. Of course, I'm DP Knuton for the Nonfiction Brand Podcast. And I would love for you to like, subscribe, refer this podcast to others. But most of all, could you do me a favor and review it wherever you get your fine podcasts for free? That's it for me this week. I'll say it again. I'm DP, but he is... Rajiv, Raj Nation Nathan. And I'll be coming back at you next week. Bye-bye.